Hey everybody, my name is Sarah Kreger. I am an emergency physician and intensivist at UCLA. Let's talk about approach to LVADs in the emergency department. It seems to me that most of our approach to LVADs in the emergency department involves some kind of push the panic button because we really don't want to see an LVAD patient. No matter what the chief complaint is, if you see that patient, you hopefully maybe try and ignore them on the board and hope somebody else picks them up. They freak us out. Hopefully, by the end of this lecture, however, you will feel quite a bit more zen about taking care of LVAD patients in the emergency department. Let's start with the basics. What on earth does an LVAD look like and does it even do? So this is basically what it looks like. Sorry, my artwork is not fantastic, but you guys will get the idea. There's three main components of your LVAD. One, there's your inflow cannula. That is sitting in your left ventricle. It sucks blood out of the left ventricle. What's doing the sucking? Well, that's the rotary pump. So this is set at some number of RPMs, and it's a pump, and it just goes. And what it does is it pumps blood through the outflow cannula that's sitting in the aorta. That's it. Basically, you have this pump that takes blood from the left ventricle, pumps it into the aorta, and then off it goes to the body. All done. That's what an LVAD is. It's actually, in a lot of ways, not that complicated. Now, we as humans like to make everything more complicated when at all possible. And so we have added a number of metrics and a number of ways of talking about LVADs that's useful to know just even for ease of communication and shared vocabulary. So the first is the speed. That's simply the RPMs that the pump is set at. That is fixed. That speed is set and it's different for different models of LVADs and it's different for every patient. That's set by the cardiologist when the LVAD is first implanted. Now, those RPMs create a sort of sucking force, and it's important for later to understand that this is a sucking force, not a pushing force, that then ultimately creates flow at some amounts of liters per minute that goes out the outflow cannula into the aorta and off to the body. Now, the LVAD knows how many RPMs it's going at, and it also knows how much power it's using. And so power is another metric that the LVAD will give you. And then flow, it'll actually give you that measurement, but it's important to keep in mind that flow is actually a calculated measurement, not measured. Speed, the LVAD knows what speed it's at. Power, it can measure. And flow is then calculated based on the speed and the power. Now, there's one more metric that most LVADs will give you, and that's something called the pulsatility index. And that is basically how much of the flow that's going through the aorta is ultimately pulsatile. Or another way of looking at this, since the pump itself, the LVAD pump, is a continuous flow pump, it's not pulsatile, the pulsatility index tells you how much is your left ventricle doing. Now, in some patients, it's doing barely anything. In other patients, it contributes somewhat, but that's basically telling you what is the pulsatile flow that's being contributed by the left ventricle. So yeah, that's it. That's what an LVAD looks like in the vocabulary. Now, what does this look like when it's actually implanted and interfacing with a patient? So LVAD in the patient. Now, this needs some connection to the outside world, right? Because you need to power the thing. You don't want it to, you know, accidentally run out of batteries. And you need a way of controlling it, setting it, and getting these metrics. So the LVAD is connected to the patient, and this is the whole setup. Here's the idea. There's something called a driveline. That is what connects the LVAD to the outside world. It takes the LVAD, connects it out, and it connects it to the controller. 
This is what the controller looks like. The patient is going to carry this around in a little bag that's always on them. Often this looks like a little black purse. The controller tells you all kinds of useful information, and the controller is attached to battery packs. Now, as you might imagine, running out of batteries would be a very unfortunate thing to happen to an LVAD, so there's always a battery pack and a backup battery pack, which are those guys. Now, once you have the patient in the hospital and you're trying to figure out what's happening, you can get the LVAD coordinator to bring a monitor and actually connect the controller to the monitor that'll then tell you all those metrics we're interested in. So once you have the patient's controller connected to the monitor, that's where you're going to see things like flow, speed, and power, and then some of them, depending on the LVAD, will also tell you the pulsatility index here. So that's it. That's what this looks like. Now, those are you know, a lot of numbers you're not necessarily familiar with. But the good news is, really, only one of them matters. And not by coincidence. The one that matters really the most to you is also the one that probably is going to make the most intuitive sense to you because you can think about LVAD flow as approximately, not precisely, but you can approximate in your head, in your mental model of an LVAD, that LVAD flow is equal-ish to cardiac output. Because that's what's going out of the aorta to the body. And it's no coincidence that, you know, your average human art cardiac output, you're talking four to six plus liters per minute. And LVAD flow, four to six plus liters per minute. It's not a coincidence they're about the same. Now, that's how hearts and LVADs are the same. But in most other ways that become important, they're actually very different. And the bottom line here is that hearts are smart pumps, whereas LVADs are stupid pumps. So what do I mean by that? Well, the thing about hearts is that hearts are designed to respond dynamically to alterations in preload and afterload. So if you're going about your normal life, you don't have the same preload and afterload all the time, right? If you are super, super, super dehydrated, then your preload changes. If you just had a whole bag of potato chips and, you know, 17 gallons of Coca-Cola, then your preload changes. If you are exercising, your afterload changes. If you're super stressed, your afterload changes. If you're septic, your afterload changes. Now, hearts are designed to respond in real time to those changes. So how do hearts respond to preload? Well, we all know this physiology. This is your starling curve, where as your preload goes up to a point, your heart will increase its stroke volume. That's how your heart intelligently responds to preload. Afterload? Well, it turns out that afterload, actually the left ventricle, is relatively unresponsive over a pretty broad range of afterloads. That your left ventricle does this thing where it'll try and maintain a relatively constant stroke volume, even in response to elevated afterloads as much as it possibly can. Now, obviously, for both of these, at extremes, that graph kind of falls off. But the heart is responding dynamically in real time to alterations in preload and afterload that happen in your daily life. What about LVADs? Well, LVADs are stupid pumps because LVADs do not respond dynamically to changes in preload and afterload. Why? Because they're set at the same speed, right? That pump just goes at the same RPMs no matter what else is happening. So LVADs, unlike hearts, are preload dependent and afterload sensitive because they're unable to respond intelligently in real time to changes in preload and afterload physiology. So that's it. 
That's the basics of LVADs that you need to understand to now talk about what is going to be our mental model for approaching LVADs in the ED, or otherwise known as our path to LVADs in. There are five steps in this path. Step number one, call for help. Step number two, is your patient perfusing? Step number three, is your device functional? Step number four, what category of problem are we dealing with? And step number five, what is the differential diagnosis for that category of problem? And really, you know, I think LVADs are very intimidating just because we don't feel like we understand them. But at the end of the day, it's like everything else we do in the emergency department. We are basically being like, is my patient, you know, perfusing? Are they dying? And then at the end of the day, we're saying, okay, I am going to try and think through what general type of problem they're having and then figure out my differential diagnosis for that type of problem. So the thought process isn't that different. It's just that there's some particular things about LVADs that you're going to have to know and understand. Now, let's start with step one, calling for help. So here is the extremely convenient thing about LVAD patients. If the patient has an LVAD, that patient is thoroughly, thoroughly plugged in with healthcare. It's not like, oh yeah, they see a doctor occasionally. Patients with LVADs have not only been screened for the medical appropriateness of an LVAD, all these patients have been screened for appropriate social support systems and social appropriateness. Can this patient logistically handle having an LVAD? So they have family and friends who know what's happening. They've been thoroughly educated. They have all kinds of numbers. They see doctors regularly. This isn't going to be the patient who comes in, say, like with a pacemaker and you're like, do you have any cardiac problems? And the patient says, no, what are you talking about? And you're like, then why do you have a pacemaker? And they're like, oh, is that a pacemaker? That's not the patient we're talking about. These patients are very well informed. They also have a very, very, very useful number, which is the number of the LVAD coordinator. And rule number one, two, three for managing LVADs in the ED is this. Keep calm and call the LVAD coordinator. The patient should have that number. The clerks in the ED, if you're at a place that does a lot of LVADs, should have that number. But the patient should have that number on them. These people are wonderful. This is what they do. They will be extremely helpful. So step one, call the LVAD coordinator. All right, step two. The next step is patient perfusing. Now, this is actually a little bit less straightforward than it is with other patients because these patients often don't have a pulse. So remember how the LVAD is a continuous flow pump and if the patient has an LVAD in the first place, it means that their left ventricle is probably not doing so much. So they may not have a lot of pulsatile flow. I had a one of my not finest moments in medicine. I was an intern and my first rotation was CCU. And one of the first patients I pre-rounded on was a patient with an LVAD. Now, I knew less than nothing about anything at that point. And so the first thing I did the first morning of intern year was freak out and like start trying to call vascular surgery because a patient didn't have pulses in their feet. Anyways, LVAD patients often don't have a pulse or a palpable pulse, at least. That's okay. That's not a problem. That's normal in these patients because the majority of the output, the cardiac output to their body is not pulsatile. So it's okay. They don't have a pulse. So how do we take their blood pressure? Well, it's all about the map. This is one of the times systolic, diastolic, it just doesn't matter. It's all about the map. Now, there's two ways you can do this. One, you can take a manual Doppler. 
You can get one of those little sound, like sound Dopplers that always makes really annoying noises that we use to check pedal pulses and get a manual blood pressure cuff and then just take the blood pressure as you would manually, but use the Doppler instead. You can also use an ultrasound Doppler if that's what you have. If I have a sick LVAD patient, though, I will often put an A-line in pretty early. Because as you can imagine, if you have any sick patient and every time you want to recheck their blood pressure, you have to go dig up a manual blood pressure cuff and do a manual blood pressure with a Doppler. I mean, you can do it. And for not sick LVAD patients, 100%, that's what I'll do. But if I have a really sick patient... Yeah, that is probably not the ideal way to do this, so I'll put an A-line in earlier in my sick LVAD patients than I might otherwise. But most importantly, again, you got to remember, perfusion isn't just about blood pressure in any patient and certainly in LVAD patients. And so is my patient perfusing? The eyeball test is extremely helpful here. Look at your patient. Are they texting on their phone and eating Cheetos? If so, they're probably perfusing. If they're sitting there like, maybe not so much. Mental status, super important part of this. And keep in mind that like perfusion mental status can range from, you know, anything from just completely out to just a little bit more agitated than usual. Because it turns out when patients aren't perfusing, they often first get agitated before they start getting uptunded and altered. Now, what if your patient's intubated? I mean, we're going to rely heavily on the eyeball test and mental status and stuff like that. But what if your LVAD patient is intubated? I'm now losing my mental status. And I think that it's harder to do a good eyeball test on an intubated patient almost. So this is when end tidal CO2 is going to help you. Now, in a non-intubated patient, it's harder to use this as a metric because your absolute value is probably not as accurate. But in an intubated patient, an intidal CO2 of greater than 20 is really helpful in terms of reassuring you that your patient is perfusing. All right. Step number next. This is where we're going to try and determine if our device is functional. The old-fashioned, so to speak, way of doing this is just listen to the chest for a hum. Different LVADs make different humming noises. Uh, I'm not going to sound try and sound like too much of an idiot and mimic the different humming noises, but listen to the chest for a hum. You should hear something that definitely doesn't sound like a regular heart lub dub, but sounds like there's a machine in there, which there is. Now, that's the sort of straightforward way to do this. Um, but sometimes if people are screaming in the background, as they often are in the ED, and you've never heard an LVAD hum before, you're like... Is that a hum? So the next helpful thing to do is look at the controller. Now, this controller will be somewhere on your patient. It's usually in a little bag. It's attached to them somewhere. And frankly, if you can't find the controller, then you've probably now figured out the problem with the LVAD. That controller needs to be on the patient and connected to the LVAD at all times. Now, once you find the controller, the controller is very useful because often the controller will say helpful things like low battery or connect driveline or problems with power or whatever. So the controller often just straight up tells you the answer. In terms of things that you are concerned about that have bigger picker implications, one, low power. Often that just means the device is low on batteries, easy solution, plug it in. Or sometimes other, it just means it's otherwise broken in some kind of non-specific way that you need to talk to the LVAT coordinator about. But the more concerning one is if there's high power. And the reason this is concerning 
is that if there is high power, that can mean that there's a pump thrombosis. And that is one of the most catastrophic things that can happen to an LVAD patient. And that's going to mean that you're going to need surgery involved essentially right away. The LVAD coordinator will help you with next steps. Now, otherwise, in terms of troubleshooting this device, honestly, I'm not going to go into every single detail, but basically a lot of what troubleshooting the actual device itself and making sure that it's functional is essentially doing what, I don't know, maybe most of us or certainly I do when any one of my electronic devices is broken or not working. I unplug things and replug them in and try and figure out like maybe if I just unplug something and plug it back in and whatever, that'll work. Now, obviously, when we're doing this with an LVAD, we're doing it in a much more sophisticated way. And so there's a sort of protocol for each different LVAD for checking all the connections. I'm not going to talk about these each in detail. I never remember them all in detail necessarily. But one, the VAD coordinator will help you with that. And two, you can have this as a reference somewhere if you want to. Three, it's often on the patient's controller, or there's somewhere in there that'll tell you that. So again, just know that you may be needing to check these connections, but in real time, depending on the make and the model of the LVAD, call the LVAD coordinator. They'll help you. There's a bunch of different ways. Depends on the device. Now, one of the big controversial questions with LVAD comes when the following happens. If your device is not functioning for some reason, and you've done all the troubleshooting that you can possibly do, you've checked the connections, you've talked to the LVAD coordinator, and the device is just not working. If your patient is not perfusing and your device is not functioning, do you do CPR? Now, the first thing to say about this is make sure your patient's really not perfusing, because often I think people tend to panic, they don't feel a pulse, and they start CPR. Remember, this patient's not going to have a pulse regardless. And so really, you need to get that map. This is maybe the time for an A-line if you haven't done it already, but make sure that the patient's not perfusing. But if they're truly not perfusing, if they're functionally not pulseless, but perfusionless, mapless, then what do you do? Do you do CPR? And this is a tricky question because there's been a lot of fear over the years that by doing CPR, you're going to dislodge the device and then all kinds of badness could happen. At the same time, if they're not perfusing and there's a chance of fixing the device, I mean, you know, we need to kind of perfuse the brain. So do we do chest compressions? The punchline is this. I think the answer is most of the time, yes. This was a statement that came out of the AHA. And the bottom line was, the group's current consensus was that withholding chest compressions in a patient with a VAD who's truly in circulatory failure, like you double-checked, it's not just that you forgot that they don't have a pulse, and blah, but if the circulatory failure is not attributable to a device failure that you can fix, that not doing CPR would cause more harm to the patient than the potential to dislodge the device. Now, I would say this is especially true if you're at a bigger center where you start doing CPR, you perfuse the brain, and if something's really going that horribly wrong with the device, the next step is the CT surgeons better be on their way in and take the patient to the OR and fix whatever's going wrong with the device. Maybe they'll end up needing ECMO, who knows? Punchline is, much of the time, net, it probably makes sense. It does get a little tricky if you have somebody who is a destination LVAD, meaning they're not eligible for transplant, they're just going to be on an LVAD indefinitely, and you're also in a place where you don't have CT surgery, then it gets a little trickier because 
where are you bridging to, right? Like if you start doing CPR on this patient and you mess up the LVAD and oh wait, you can't send them to the OR with CT surgery. And even if you could, they're not a bridge to transplant. They're not a bridge to anywhere. So it's not always straightforward, but I think net, the official sort of reasonable consensus that I think I agree with is that you will probably do more harm by not doing CPR, failing to perfuse the brain than we would by doing a VAD. Caveat being, since your normal way of checking for a pulse is no longer available to you, just really make sure that you actually believe this patient does not have a pulse. And during, quote, pulse checks during CPR, you can't do a manual pulse check. You have to do it with ultrasound. And if you haven't put an A-line in already, now is the time. All right. Item number next. What category of problem are we dealing with? Okay, so this is when we really get in to some of the more specific, how do we think about LVADs? Here's the idea. Your mental model of LVADs actually can be fairly simple. You basically have this device that is essentially flowing blood across it from the left ventricle to the aorta. Now, we are keeping in mind that LVADs are stupid pumps, not smart pumps. So they are preload dependent and afterload sensitive. So what does that functionally mean to us? Well, functionally, what that means is that we're going to run into two major problems, two major categories of problems with LVADs. And this is not rocket science. One, either blood is not moving forward or category number two, blood is not backing up. And this happens not infrequently because LVADs, as we said, they're preload dependent and afterload sensitive because they just keep going at the same RPMs no matter what changes happen in the patient's preload and afterload. Now, as you can imagine, this is where things to get a little bit tricky sometimes. How do we figure out which one of these things is happening? Well, good news, ultrasound to the rescue in emergency medicine yet again. Because ultrasound is your friend. Ultrasound is going to help you figure out in a way that we're comfortable with which one of these things is happening and why. Let's start with actually the more simple situation. Let's start with the situation of what you're going to see if blood is backing up. So we have our simple mental model of the LVAD. And blood is backing up for some reason. Basically, there's too much afterload. The LVAD can't push against it at the RPMs. It's set at blood is backing up. When that is what's happening, what you're going to see on ultrasound is a large left ventricle and a large right ventricle. Both ventricles enlarged, dilated, backing up. That's what you're going to see on ultrasound when your problem is LVAD blood backing up. We have an afterload problem. Now, what about when blood is not moving forward? This gets a little bit more complicated. And the thing is that there's two different possible reasons why blood may not be moving forward that fall into two different categories and look different on ultrasound. So the first reason that blood's not moving forward is that your patient has intravascular volume depletion. This actually happens not infrequently in LVADs, where the patient is dry, they're overdiuresed, they're having diarrhea, but since the LVAD can't respond intelligently like a starling curve, small changes in preload can cause a problem. And so intravascular volume depletion can be a big problem for LVADs. If that is the case, if that's why blood's not moving forward, what you're going to see is a small left ventricle and a small right ventricle. So one reason Possibility one for the blood not moving forward with small left and small right ventricle is intravascular volume depletion. But there's a second possibility for blood not moving forward. What is it? Well, it's the right ventricle not delivering. 
Because remember, blood can only get to the left ventricle through the right ventricle. And so if you have a left ventricle that's like, I'm not getting enough blood, you're not giving me anything to work with, yeah, it's possible there's just not enough volume in the system, but what if there's plenty of volume in the system, but the right ventricle is not delivering it to the left ventricle? If this is the case, what you are going to see on ultrasound is a small left ventricle, because the right ventricle is not giving it anything, but a large dilated right ventricle. So under this category of blood not moving forward, when you're seeing these two categories, your possibility one was intravascular volume depletion, and your possibility two was your right ventricle not delivering. So to summarize, you can have a problem with blood backing up. And if that's the problem, both your right and left ventricle are going to be big. You can have a problem with blood not moving forward because of intravascular volume depletion. If that's your problem, you're going to have a small left ventricle and a small right ventricle. Or you can have a problem of blood not moving forward because your right ventricle is just not delivering. Your right ventricle is not delivering the blood to the left ventricle. And if that's the case, you're going to have a small left ventricle and a big right ventricle. So that is the basic framework of categories of how we're going to think about LVAD problems. Now, how can we map that on to the numbers that are happening? How can the LVAD tell us helpful things about this? Because it can. Turns out, again, flow is probably our most important number here. So if we're mapping our flow onto these situations, what you're going to see is that either way, whether blood's not moving forward or blood's backing up, you're going to have low flow most of the time. The one exception to that is this. If your patient has functional intravascular volume depletion and blood's not moving forward, but the real reason is because they're in distributive shock and they're supovasodilated, and that's really what's happening. You know, their unstressed volume has dropped, but functionally, also their afterload, their afterload has dropped. This is a situation where you may see high flow. So in the one situation of vasodilation, you'll see high flow, but in the other situations, you'll almost always see low flow. Sometimes what you can see in the blood not adequately moving forward category of events is they can present with suction events. And here's what happens. If you're not getting enough blood to the left ventricle, either because there's just not enough blood in the whole system, your volume down, or because the right ventricle is not delivering it to the left ventricle, you now have a situation when you have a pump that is trying to suck blood from the left ventricle at the same rate. It's not like, oh, we don't have enough volume. I better slow down. It doesn't do that. It's a stupid pump, right? What can happen if the patient has low enough preload in the left ventricle? It can actually suck so much that it has a suction event is what it's called, where basically the pump is just sort of sucking and sucking and it essentially sucks the walls of the left ventricle together. Now, as you can imagine, that doesn't make the left ventricle very happy. And when suction events happen, it can actually cause ventricular tachycardia. Now, the LVADs are not completely dumb. They're a little bit smart and they're programmed to detect suction events. So when the LVAD detects a suction event, what it'll do is it'll actually slow down its RPMs, wait for a minute, wait for the suction event to resolve, but then it eventually speeds them back up again which is kind of a problem because if you haven't fixed the preload, which was the whole reason you had the suction event in the first place, it's often going to happen again. So one of the things under the differential for LVAD patients coming in with VTAC is looking on the controller to be like, are they having suction events? So 
This overall is how we're going to categorize LVAD problems. And we have our ultrasound as well as our flow metrics to help us figure out what's happening. Now we come to the last and most important part, differential diagnosis. This is when we're going to put it all together. So we're going to take the categories we talked about, our blood backing up, our intravascular volume depletion, and our right ventricle not delivering, and talk about, okay, what is the differential diagnosis for each one of those categories that you're going to help use your ultrasound to define? Let's start again with blood backing up. One of the first ones is hypertension, right? I don't treat hypertension all that often in the ED, especially if it's relatively mild, but in LVADs, I will have a lower threshold to treat it because as we talked about, LVADs are stupid pumps. They cannot respond to increased afterload. They're going at the same RPMs the whole time. So if the patient normally has a blood pressure of, you know, map of maybe 70, great. If they come in with a map of 110, those RPMs are all of a sudden not up to that. So hypertension could be your problem. Volume overload, 100%. The LVAD is just not meant to deal with this much volume. The pump going at those same RPMs can't push that much volume forward, so it just starts backing up and the patient's volume overloaded. And then the next thing that could be happening is a pump thrombosis, right? Now, usually if that's happening, you're going to have other problems that you'll notice. You'll have high power. Sometimes the pump will get hot. But if the pump thrombosis, you can no longer push blood forward through the pump so things can start backing up. That's the most rare thing that happens, but it can happen. All right. What about the situation? You have a small LV and a small RV. This is the blood's not moving forward situation due to intravascular volume depletion. So it turns out these patients are very prone to GI bleeds. Um, in addition, they're very prone to sepsis, right? So GI bleeding, sepsis, and straight up hypovolemia. Maybe they were overdiuresed. Maybe they just haven't been drinking anything. But these patients can be prone to hypovolemia. And then finally, your RV not delivering. This is when you're going to see a small LV, but a big RV. Now, pulmonary hypertension is one of these things. Some of these patients do have initially mild to moderate pulmonary hypertension. It's possible. Um, a massive PE, less likely to happen in these patients because they're usually anticoagulated at baseline. But the most common thing is right ventricular failure. Right ventricular failure is actually extremely common in LVAD patients. So this happens not infrequently. Now, this is your differential diagnosis. You kind of know most of these things. So what's the management? Well, the good news is that for the most part, as you normally would. And we're just going to talk through a couple of LVAD specific things to keep in mind about some of these conditions. But again, if you look at these conditions, you're pretty familiar with how to manage most of them. So let's talk about some LVAD specific things. The first one is GI bleeding. So LVAD patients are extremely prone to GI bleeding. There's two reasons for that. The first is they're all anticoagulated chronically so that the LVAD doesn't thrombose. The second, though, is that there's some very interesting things that seem to happen to your gastrointestinal vasculature when you have continuous flow. Basically, people develop these AVMs. I don't have a full understanding of the mechanism of that. There's some very interesting data on it. But these guys are very prone to GI bleeding. So if you have an LVAD patient and it looks like they're maybe hypovolemic, GI bleeding should be very high on your differential. Sepsis. 
These patients can also be very prone to sepsis. And the most catastrophic thing is a driveline infection. Because keep in mind, these patients chronically live with a wire functionally that is sitting inside their mediastinum that connects to the outside world. And as you can imagine, that's a setup for infection. In addition, these patients have lots of contact with the healthcare system. They often have lots of other medical problems. They're often older. So they have lots of reasons to get septic. And so low suspicion in sepsis, especially if you see a patient who's acting sort of maybe hypovolemic and you see a high flow state rather than a low flow state that may be indicating vasodilation, hypovolemia. So we're used to thinking about LVAD patients as heart failure patients, which they are. That's why they have the LVAD in the first place. But they now have an LVAD that's giving them plenty of flow through their left ventricle. And that LVAD can't respond to changes in preload. And so these patients can easily get hypovolemic. And because of that sucking force in the left ventricle, hypovolemia could cause them all kinds of problems. So hypovolemia actually happens all the time in these patients. And that is something that I think we have to get used to a little bit. Like, yes, they're a heart failure patient, but I am much more likely to give an LVAD patient some fluid than I am to give a just heart failure patient without an LVAD. Because in an LVAD, they may actually need it. That pump may need its preload. Right ventricular failure. So right ventricular failure is very common in LVAD patients. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is just that patients who present with sick enough hearts they need an LVAD often have some biventricular involvement. But the other reason is that, you know, these patients usually have sick hearts or predisposition to sick hearts at baseline. And now what you've done is you've done basically the following. The image I have in my head is of a very small girl who is trying to walk a very big, powerful dog. You basically have now attached your right ventricle, which you haven't really helped at all, to this very powerful pump. And so the pump's like, I'm just going to pump this much blood forward. That LVAD's like, I'm pumping this much forward no matter what. And the right ventricle like running along behind it, trying to keep up. So right ventricular failure can be very common in LVAD patients, and it can be very problematic in LVAD patients. And so high suspicion for that's what's happening, especially if you see findings where you have a small left ventricle and a big right ventricle on your echo. Now, if that is the case, then what you're going to need to do is manage the right ventricular failure. Volume will not help you in this case. In fact, volume will probably hurt you. And what you really need is decrease the right ventricular afterload. Some inhaled pulmonary vasodilators may help you and help the RV inotropy. So this is maybe when you want to use some epinephrine. This is maybe when you want to use milrinone if you think you can. Um, and so support the right ventricle and help flow to the left ventricle so that you're giving the LVAD something to work with. Lastly, ventricular tachycardia. So the first thing to say is that it's okay to shock these patients. That's fine. But often VTAC, people will come in with VTAC. Um, and a lot of these patients actually, you know, sometimes will have a pacemaker because their heart failure is so bad to begin with. But more importantly, the reason for VTAC may be suction events. So remember how we talked about before, how if you have inadequate left ventricular preload, either because your volume down or your RV is not delivering, and the LVAD just keeps its sucking force going as it normally does, you can have these events where the LV free wall sucks together. And the LV gets very angry and goes into VTAC. But then the LVAD will sort of resolve itself. 
So if I see somebody with this pattern of like, they'll go into VTAC, then it'll self-resolve. They'll go into VTAC and it'll self-resolve. And hopefully I can see that reflected on my LVAD monitor and my LVAD controller, then give them volume because the LV is telling them that that's probably the problem. Unless you look at the RV and you're like, oh, the RV is not moving stuff forward. But keep in mind that can be a big issue. All right. That was, in brief, approach to LVADs in the emergency department. We are going to take our path to LVAD Zen. We are going to first call from help. We are going to call the LVAD coordinator. They are going to help us through this entire process. We are going to assess our patient's perfusion, keeping in mind that we're not going to be able to get a regular systolic diastolic blood pressure. It's all about the map and either manual Doppler or an A-line in a sick patient, but also knowing that in LVAD patients, like all patients, perfusion isn't just about blood pressure. Your eyeball test, your mental status, and then if they're intubated, your entitled CO2. We're going to check if our device is functional. We're going to listen for that LVAD hum. And then we're going to look at the controller that gives us very helpful information. And if the device is just completely not functioning and our patient is dying, it's okay to do chest compressions. Next, we are going to try and think about what category of problem are we having? And in terms of categories, we have the blood may not be backing up or the blood may not be moving forward. If your blood's not moving forward, there's two core possibilities. Either you're just intravascularly volume depleted or your right ventricle is not delivering. We're going to use our ultrasound findings and our flow findings to help us figure this out. If blood's backing up, both your LV and your RV are going to be large. If blood's not moving forward, it depends why. If it's because of intravascular volume depletion, you're going to have a small LV and a small RV. And if it's because the right ventricle is just not delivering any blood to the LV, then you're going to have a small LV, but a big RV. Most of the time, you're going to have low flow if any of these things are happening, unless you're in the situation that you have vasodilation and some kind of vasodilatory kind of shock. And if you have low enough preload getting delivered to the LV, sometimes you can see suction events, which can cause VTAC. Finally, we're going to go through our differential diagnosis of all of these things. We're going to take, okay, which category of problem do I have? And then say, for that category, which of my differential diagnosis items are most likely in this patient? And how do I treat them? Thinking about some LVAD-specific things as needed while doing it. Hopefully now you feel a little bit less like this and a little bit more like this about LVAD patients walking into the ED. Thank you guys so much for listening. Take care.